we are just beginning a series through the book of Colossians that we are calling King Jesus. And we are calling it King Jesus because Colossians should inform you and I, just as it did to the Christians in Colossae, how we ought to live our lives to glorify Christ in everything that we do. Every series that we will, will have here at our church will help you glorify God in your life in specific areas. And that's what this is all about. And so our first series in King Jesus in the book of Colossians is Healthy Church. I don't know of any better way to launch a church than start a series talking about how do we have a healthy church. What does God say to you and to me to have a healthy church to make sure we are living for God's glory, to make sure we are doing the right things in the church so we can go out of the church into the community and share the gospel with people, bring people to come to know him and disciple them and train them to go, go do likewise. And that's the whole purpose of going through the letter of the Colossians. Now when it comes to uh, living for God's glory... There may be no better place to try to live for God's glory than in your marriage. Now, I want you to imagine for a minute that I am coming to you for some counseling. Okay? My marriage is in need of some counsel, and I'm going to come to you, you, every one of you, but you individual, and I want you to, to help me make sure that I'm going to have a really, really, really solid marriage. And so here's what I'm saying. My wife and I are having a hard time. I can't seem to know what she's thinking. I can't seem to know what she wants. It seems like every time uh, we're around each other, it's kind of aloof, kind of awkward. I'm just not sure what's going on, and I need you to help me. And you're going to ask me questions like this. Well, uh, do you guys talk much? And I'm going to be like, well, not really. Uh, well, when do you talk? Well, we talk when I need her to cook me dinner. Well, Okay. What else? Well, uh, when the kids need to go to school, I make sure like, they got to go. you got to go take the kids to school. All right, all right. What else? Well, uh, you know, come to think of it, I only talk to my wife when I need something. And you're going to tell me as a really good biblical counselor, probably not a good idea if you want to have a healthy marriage to only speak to your spouse when you want something. You agree with that? All right. Good. Well, you're great biblical counselors. And uh, I'm going to sit and say, well, there's, there's more than that. It just seems like there's more. Uh, and you're going to be a really good biblical counselor, and you're going to say, well, do you really know her heart? Do you know her desires, the things that, that she loves, the things she enjoys? And I'm going to be like, why, why would that matter? And, and you're going to be like, man, this is, getting, this is worse than you told me it was, isn't it? And uh, I'm going to be like, well, okay, well, skip that one. <laughs> skip that one. Uh, and you're going to say, well, do you really spend time with her? I mean, just, just you and her, do you all just spend time together? And I'm like, yeah, she cooks me dinner. Uh, you know, we, we sleep in the same bed, praise God, right? Uh, it, that's really about it. And you're going to say, well, listen here, buddy, I know your problem here. Right? Your problem is that you don't spend time with your wife, you don't get to know her, you don't talk to her, and you don't even know what she wants and her desires in life. And you're going to look at me and you're going to say, I can fix your marriage in three easy steps. Talk to your wife. Spend time with your wife and get to know your wife. And you're going to get a gold star in biblical counseling. But I want you to also think about it now, since you're the really good biblical counselor and you're telling me to have a really good marriage, I want you to ask those same questions when it comes to your relationship with God. And I want to ask you a couple of questions. It's my turn to do the biblical counseling. Do you 
spend time getting to know God. When you come to me and I say, hey, do you spend a time getting to know God, His desires? In Scripture, we'd call it His will. I mean, do you spend time getting to know God's will? How would you answer that question? What about this? Do you talk to God? And I know you talk to Him when you want something, right? When you want dinner, Right? When you, when you need something, when something's going on in your life, you, you go over there and you say, God, I need this, I need this. And you told me not to do that because that's a bad way to have a marriage. And I'm asking, is that when you go talk to God? Only when you need something. What about spending time with God? He has this special revelation He's given to us in His Word. That is, that He has given us His thoughts and put them on paper for you and I to have. Because he loves us and he cares about us and he wants us to get to know him so much. And if I ask you, do you spend time with that? And you're going to say, well, not really, not as much as I should. Then I'm going to be like, your relationship with God sounds like my imaginary marriage, right? Not very good. But that isn't God's will for your life. That's not God's desire for your life. Just like God's desire for my life is for me to have a fruitful and effective and healthy marriage to glorify, to please Him and honor Him. For you to make sure that you have a fruitful relationship with God, that you get to know Him and live for Him, is God's desire for your life. And Colossians teaches us a lot about that. If you're not there already in your Bible, go ahead and flip over to Colossians 1. We'll be in verses 9 through 12a. You see, we must be knowledgeable. That is knowledgeable right here, gnosis, right? We must have this knowledge and understanding of God's will or his desire, if that suits you better, if we hope to live in a manner that is fully pleasing to Christ. It's imperative that we get to know God, that we get to know what does God want in my life. You see, Many of you may be dealing with this right now, but there's a problem if we don't. And you may be able to preach this part better than me. And it's this. Without knowing God's will, you risk living outside of God's plan for your own life. And the consequences for that are huge. I want you to think, for those of you, especially for those of you who right now you find yourself living outside of God's will, and for many of you who keep teetering in and out of God's will in your own life, in your own obedience, and the way that you follow God and spend time with God, how is your sin going? How is your sin life? How's that? Probably not so great if you're not in God's will. Usually when you're out of God's will, it's because you're in sin, right? What about your worry? What's your, what's your worry level these days? What about your concern with things going on that are out of your control? What about those things? Stress, anxiety. Uh, what about your impatience? Have you found yourself a little more irritable, a little more impatient than normal? All of these things, and, and you might even say, you know what, it's, it's kind of all of those things. And you could say you just live in all-around misery. I mean, your life is just seems off-kilter, off-the-track, so to speak, and your life just seems in all of those different places. And you could probably say with utmost confidence that if those things describe you, that you would probably finding yourself outside of God's will. And Paul has something to say to the Colossians when it comes to making sure that our life is not off-kilter. That our life is on track and always moving in a direction that is fully pleasing to Christ. Because Paul's letter to the Colossians helps us understand that knowing God's will is not only possible, but as a matter of fact, knowing God's will should be a regular practice for every Christian. Do you believe that? That knowing God's will should be a regular practice 
for every Christian. Pastor Evan just read you the scripture, and so I would just have you go up to verse 9. Look at verse 9. Paul is saying, because you, you've been here, right? Hopefully, unless this is your first or second time, uh, we go verse by verse. And so we've already, already discussed the first eight verses. And then verse 9 kind of talks and says, and so. And so what? Well, and so because of your faith in Christ, because of, the, because of the love that you have, because of the faith that you have, because of that hope that you have in Christ, you have this faith and love that is just super explicit. It's super out in the open. Everybody knows it. And Paul's thanking God for their hope that they have in Christ and the way that they are allowing that to motivate their lives and to guide their lives. And that's what he says here. And so because of those things, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, I'm going to go off on a little exegetical path real quick because I want you to notice something here. And as we go through these next four verses, I want you to have your pen out and I want you to circle in your Bible. Yes, circle in your Bible. That's okay. You can do that. You know, scribes in, uh, in the first century, they used to write in the margins of their papyri. So you're not doing anything ungodly here. Write in your Bible by all means. Uh, but I want you to, to circle the words filled and all. And there's some other ones that I'll point out as we go, because you do recall when we talked about the book of Colossians that Paul is battling these people in Colossae through this letter by saying these Colossian people, not the Christians, but other people in Colossae are saying, listen, you may have some knowledge, but you don't have all knowledge. That is, you don't have all the knowledge you need to be fully Christian or to be fully right with God. Or, you know, all of these things are saying you need other things. You need Jesus plus these things. You need Jesus plus all the festivals. You need Jesus plus these other gods for you to be truly right in the eyes of God. And that's why Paul uses these really specific words here by saying that you would be filled with the knowledge. You don't lack knowledge. Through the Spirit of God, because you're saved, you're going to be filled with knowledge. And what kind of knowledge? in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as we go, I'll have you underline those in just this little exegetical pathway. We'll go back now and jump into the sermon. But I want you to pay attention to those things. Because Paul is saying, since we heard of your salvation, we're praying for this one thing. And here it is, that you receive the knowledge of God's will. Did you know that you could be filled with the knowledge of God's will? Did you know that? Do you know that's actually part of what it means to be a Christian is to be filled with the knowledge of God's will? And I want you to pay attention to something here in this field. Do you know that's a passive, it's passive, it's speaking in a passive language. That is, it's not something you can actively do for yourself, right? That is, I cannot force myself to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Why? Because I am human, right? Because I am sinful. Anything that is given to me has been I've been passively taking from God's active giving. Does that make sense? So the hard part about this sermon is I can't tell you in four easy steps you can be filled with the knowledge of God's will. That's not how it works. And you, you realize how it works here is that as we are Christians, and so, comma, before that, and so, because you're Christians, because you've repented of your sins and trusting in Christ, because you're really a Christian, you're really going to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, there's things that we can do to undergird that, to help ourselves move along in that, and we'll get to that. But you do have to realize that if you're not a Christian in here, it's impossible to be filled with the knowledge of his will. And if you're a Christian in here, you need to be living that out because you are going to have the knowledge of God's will. And you say, well, how so, Pastor Hayden? Well, if you're a Christian in here, 
you at least knew enough of God's will to repent of your sins and trust in Christ. You knew that it was God's will that none shall perish, but all that come to eternal life in Christ Jesus. Right? That is God's will. And we're about to get to an objection here because in our society, uh, we often say things like, how could you really know God's will? How can anyone know God's will? And I wanted to debunk that for all of you right now. Are you ready for that? I'm excited for that. Because I want you to realize, I think you've already kind of uncovered it already, this idea that to be a Christian means you already understood enough of God's will to be saved, right? That is, Christ came, God, God sent his son, right? You heard that old hymn, right? I mean, that is God's will, that he would send his son, that it was God's will to crush his son, that he would take the penalty of our sin. That's called God's will. Did you know that? So you do know God's will. And I'm trying to let you know that Scripture says that we can know God's will in many, many other areas. Because here's the objection. The objection is, how can I know God's will? And I'm trying to tell you that you can. God has revealed his will, and it's called the Bible. Right? In God's revealed will, he has given us everything we need for life and godliness through him. And so he has revealed himself in Scripture, and I promise you that through his revelation, his revelatory word of himself written down on paper, we can have understanding of his will in specific areas of our life. Now, here's what I, here's what I am saying. Okay, you need to understand God's revealed will before you try to seek God's specific will for your life. You get what I'm saying here, right? right? Many people, this is why many people say, I can't know God's will, I can't know God's will. And because they try to do this. Well, I just want to know if God wants me to move across the world. I just want to know if God wants me to marry Chad or Joe. And it's like, <laughs> like what? Okay, God, I just want, God just needs to tell me if I need to have 50 kids or 38. You know, all these things. I just want to know what God wants for me. And I'm like, do you, do you even know what God wants for him, for you? I mean, do you know God, what God wants you to do in him? And the odds are, you're probably going to say, I never really thought about it that way. Then I'm like, you never really thought about it, right? Because the reality of, of God's word and God's revelation to us is he has a will. And he's made that will known. And our job as Christians is to live within that will. And I promise you that at that point... God's specific will from your life will unravel. It will become super obvious when you're doing these things, right? In Christ, right? In Christ, right? That's salvation, right? That you are found in Christ. You're living in God's will when you become a Christian because that is God's will for us. So check mark, right? If you're a Christian in here, congratulations. You have made a really great step in living in God's will. Now, what about marriage? Are you living in God's will in marriage? Well, the question is, are you married? Are you married in bi biblical marriage? One man, one woman, uh, right? You're not cohabitating with your, with your boyfriend or girlfriend, right? You've decided to, to stand before God and many witnesses to declare your marriage as a, as a glorifying component of your life, right? Have you done that? Well, congratulations. Again, you're living in God's will. Now, are you living in your marriage now to glorify God? Now, that's a different question. Because if I could ask you this today, and you may say yes. If I ask you on Wednesday, you'll maybe say no. That is the truth of all of our lives, and that is the friction of the Christian life. It's how can I make sure that I'm living for Christ every day and not just have to hit pause in this one moment where I actually all my life was living for him that day, but if I kept pushing play, it would unravel and unravel, and it turns out that after a week you're not living for God at all. See, that is, that is the, the friction of the Christian life, is we have to be living always in a way that is fully pleasing to Christ. And so what I'm saying is, and I, I, don't, I don't have enough time to spend on all this, but it's when in a marriage, right? Your marriage needs to display the God's glory every day, not just sometimes when you feel like it, right? Or you'll be in counseling like me in the introduction. 
Uh, what about evangelism? Right? You say, how can I be in God's will? And this is what everyone desires. And I've had so many people ask me, uh, Pastor Hayden, I just want to be in God's will. How can I be in God's will? Well, uh, the Bible says you're ambassadors of Christ. Right? The, the, the Bible says that I need to go and I need to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. Are you doing that? Well, no, that's just that's not what I meant when I was talking about God's will. Well, that's what God meant when he said his will. Right? His will is that you would go and proclaim Christ's message. What about parenting? Right? Now, I guess many of you, if you're in here, maybe your parenting's going okay, but maybe not. Right? You know, are you parenting your child in the way that Scripture teaches? Fathers, are you provoking your kids to anger? I mean, when you're disciplining your sons, are you, are you getting so angry in your own, in your own desire to, 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 to not hurt your son? I hope you're not hurting your son. We'll have another conversation there. But are you being angry in a way that you're not even disciplining your son to bring him up in the admonition of the Lord? Right? You're disciplining him because it would make you feel better. I mean, those types of things. Are you really parenting your child in a way that glorifies God? Right? I mean, moms, are you, are you truly trying to lead your sons and lead your daughters in a way where they get to know Christ or, or they, they are made wise unto salvation, as Timothy says, right? That that's the life that we need to be living when it comes to parenting our kids. Are we doing those things, right? Are we just trying to get by or my kid's so sweet and it's just so sweet when they tell me no when I tell them to do something? It's just so cute. No, that's called sin, okay? And you want your kid to be in God's will, and your kid can't be in God's will if they're living in sin. So discipline those children, okay? <laughs> All right. And I can keep going and going, but I'm not. There's just every area in your life, Scripture makes clear how you can live in God's will in your life. And all I'm saying is you need to get to know God. And you can't, you can't live in God's will if you don't know God's will. Now, here's how God's going to fill you with his knowledge. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, the second half of verse 9, okay? Uh, and before you get all spacey and ethereal with me, I want to I ground you in what it means to be filled with all spiritual wisdom. We're not talking about New Age spiritualism, okay? We're talking about a real part of the Trinity, of what God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. You're going to be given the wisdom and understanding by God the Holy Spirit, right? The third head of the Trinity is going to indwell you as a Christian, is going to fill you up in wisdom and understanding. Spiritual means that it comes from the Holy Spirit, that it's wisdom from God, that it's understanding from God. This isn't, well, I'm going to go to school for 20 years, and I think they're going to teach me everything I need to know. And then after that, I'm going to do all these things for the Lord, because now I know all these things. Do you know what the Bible says about that kind of knowledge? Good, you don't. We'll flip it over and we'll, I'll show you. Go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 14. 1 Corinthians 2, the Apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthians and he's saying, listen, here is kind of a problem that Paul's talking to the Colossians about. Paul's talking to the Colossians saying, listen, there are these people who are trying to give you this false wisdom or say you're going to need this earthly wisdom. But Paul's saying that your wisdom is going to be a spiritual wisdom. Your wisdom is going to be given to you by the power of God. And this is what Paul says to the Corinthians here. Verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. That's good. So we're going to get wisdom. We're mature. We're growing in Christ. We're saved. We're going to get some wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Well, that's good news for us, right? The wisdom that those people are getting is doomed to pass away with them. But our wisdom is not going to do that, right? Verse 7. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom from God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
But as it is written, verse 9, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And that, my friends, if I just stopped right there, is one of the jewels in wisdom. Okay? One of the jewels in wisdom is this, that you understand that the heart of spiritual wisdom is this, that what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. I want to take a minute, I want to help you kind of see this in light of where you are right now. Okay, when I'm talking about earthly wisdom, people are going to tell you, how, how do I save more money for retirement? How do I invest in a home just enough to get a good return from it, but not too much so I don't get a good return of it so that later I can buy another house that's bigger and nicer and more beautiful? Okay? Uh, how can I put miles on my car, but not too many miles on it so that I can still sell it so I can get a bigger and nicer car? Right? Those are all wise things, right? But that's wisdom that's going to pass away, right? That's wisdom that's going to be fleeting. It's not, it's not necessary uh, when it comes to you, your eternity. But, but what is the wisdom that we are going to receive? The kind of wisdom which no eye has ever seen. The kind of wisdom that no ear has ever heard. The kind of wisdom that the heart of man can't imagine, right? And that's why foolishness, right? The wisdom of God is foolishness to those who are perishing because the wisdom that you and I are receiving from the Spirit is that which is going to grow us up and mature us, not only for today, but for eternity. And so there are some things that you and I have to do as Christians, and we just have to bear it. We have to take it, and we got to say, you know what? I'm responsible for wisdom that leads me to eternity, not just wisdom that is for the here and now. And that's what spiritual wisdom is going to do. You're going to be making a lot of decisions as a Christian that don't make sense to worldly wisdom. You're going to do it. How many of you give? Don't raise your hand, please. <laughs> don't raise your hand. All right, how many of you are giving? All right, great. You know who would tell you not to do that? Most people. Right? Why would you give? And what measure do we give? Uh, well, we say it's a general principle, right? You need to be giving a little bit more than uh, what makes you comfortable, right? I mean, God never says, you know what, do just what makes you comfortable and do no more. That's not bearing your cross daily, is it? No, but we as Christians, we want to give, we want to, give to stretch ourselves. We want to be generous in such a way where, where it does grow our faith. And so the world's going to say, don't do that. You actually need to guess how much can I give and then take a couple of steps back, and that's how much you should give. Well, that's worldly wisdom, but God's wisdom never aligns with that type of wisdom. And so I'm saying for you that we have to think, you know, the wisdom of God is going to do things that prepares our hearts and our eyes and our minds to do those things in which are eternally beneficial for us. Continue. Let's continue. Verse uh, 10, all right? These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Oh, there we go. We have this wisdom, and it's only revealed through the Spirit of God. And here's the good news. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. I want to pause right there. Man, there's a lot of pauses. We're going to get through this sermon now. All right. I want you to think, man, I just can't know God's will. I, just, I have a problem even, even thinking in a spiritual way or thinking in a godly manner. And I want you to know that if you're a Christian in here, you have the Spirit of God that lives within you that does this. It searches the depths of God. Right? And so even if you're like, tell me, like maybe your retirement age here, you have great grandkids, and you're like, I just haven't grown in my faith in 10, 20 years. Maybe I just know it all. Or maybe, not, maybe you're like humble enough to acknowledge that you're not the smartest person in the world, but maybe you're just like, I just think I've reached that spot in my faith where it, just, it can't go any further. And I'm just telling you that Scripture says that the Holy Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And so no matter where you are in your faith this morning, what I'm telling you is you have not reached the depths of God. You have not reached the depths and the, and the, the we'll get to, right, the, the all-powerful, omniscient God. You, you can't reach that depth. 
And you have within you the Holy Spirit who knows the depths of God. And so what I'm telling you is you have room to grow. You have room to mature. And what I'm saying, if you want to do those things, you need to do this, and it's point number one, is you need to ask God for wisdom. And you need to ask God for wisdom, because Scripture says that we get wisdom from the Spirit. And we know that if we have the Spirit living in us, which we know that we have received that inheritance as a deposit that has been entrusted to us, right? As we do what Colossians says, as we're waiting for the hope that is to be revealed to us in heaven, right? The Holy Spirit is that down payment for you and I to sit here and say, I can, I can have wisdom from God. I have the Holy Spirit in me, which means that I can know and walk in wisdom that pleases God. Now, before I, I jump on with wisdom, you got to know what wisdom is, right? I mean, you got to know what wisdom is, and I don't want you to attach a secular meaning to wisdom, right? In Scripture, when we talk wisdom, uh, as one commentary says it, we're including things like knowledge, will, and feeling, right? It's not just, hey, I know all these things, right? And it's not just saying, hey, I know how to do all these things. It encompasses, the wisdom from God encompasses both the know-how right? The will that is the doing, that it's my will is being conformed to the will of God. Uh, and it's also uh, my desire, my feelings, okay? You do realize that, that the wisdom of God should curb and it should redirect the way that you feel, your feelings. Now, unfortunately for us, especially in the 21st century, that's the hardest part for our wisdom to curb is our desires and our emotions. Right? Those things are always going to be contrary to God. We know that to be true anyway. Right? And so when we think wisdom, we are so accustomed to think that means knowledge and doing. Knowledge applied is what a lot of Christians would say. Uh, but I'm telling you that if your feelings and desires are not also curbed into understanding that wisdom is more than just knowing and doing, it's also your desires will be transformed by knowing Christ. Your desires are going to be transformed and be brought into conformity with Christ Jesus in all things. Now, I'll be the first to tell you that that's not true all the time in my life every single day, which I think you could acknowledge is true in your life. But we have the hope and the understanding that through the knowledge and the wisdom of God given to us, we can be working and asking God for wisdom to bring our passions and our desires in line with his will. And it starts with us asking for God's wisdom. As a matter of fact, you can jot this reference down, James 1.5. My Sunday school grads are going to be able to, to recite this one. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Just for a moment, you need to understand this and maybe write this down as a subpoint that wisdom is a stewardship. And I want you to look at it that way. And if you look at it that way, you'll be much more responsible in what God does give you in wisdom. The wisdom that God gives you through his spirit is a stewardship. And a stewardship means you're responsible for it. Right? God reveals his will to you in Christ Jesus. Right? If, if God reveals his will of salvation for you, guess what? You're responsible to respond to it. Right? God gives you children. You're responsible for your children. In all things God gives you, there is a responsibility. Right? You have an ability to respond and you ought to. Okay, and so here's four ways that you, can, uh, that you can steward the wisdom that you're asking God for. All right, four ways, really quick. One is you need to be praying for wisdom regularly. I put this in, in parentheses saying this is, you, this is wisdom sought, that you're, you're seeking after wisdom. Solomon did it when you're reading Kings, right? Uh, James is telling us that we're going to do it. As Christians, it's important for us to do it. And what we have to do is we need to pray for wisdom regularly, and it's wisdom sought. 
We need to be seeking wisdom. Number two is this, that you need to go to church. Right? And you're taking notes right now for this exact reason, because what are you doing? You're hearing God's wisdom preached. And so when we're asking for God's wisdom, we need to be good stewards of it, and we need to be uh, allowing God's wisdom to work through us, and we're going to do it through praying regularly. We're going to do, do this by going to church because we're hearing God's wisdom preached, and you're taking notes because you were trying to be a good steward of the wisdom that God is giving you through his word, and you're writing notes. That is a good thing, and that's what we ought to be doing as Christians when we hear God's word. We need to be writing notes. We need to be making sure we don't miss church because you know what? Many of you are going to leave here saying, this guy talks too much. Uh, but some of you will leave here and say, wow, uh, I'm so glad I was there because this was necessary for my faith. And that is what we're saying is necessary for you to go to church. You need to go to church. Uh, thirdly, go to life groups. And in parentheses, I say it's God's wisdom discussed. Isn't that amazing? Uh, the most important thing that we can do as Christians, right? You're hearing the word preached here, but in the middle of the week, you get to turn these chairs around and you get to look each other in the eyes and you get to read scripture and you get to discuss the wisdom of God with one another, right? That's so important. When you ask God for wisdom and you're a steward of God's wisdom, you need to be in community discussing that wisdom with one another. And so that's why we make a big deal out of every single time we do announcements for the rest of the history of Compass Bible Church. We're always going to be saying, hey, get in a life group. You need to get in a life group because so many people get saved in life groups. So many people get discipled in life groups. They get strengthened in life groups. And it's because it's wisdom discussed. You put yourself in the discussion where spiritual godly wisdom is happening. You're going to be hard not to catch that. You're going to catch some of that. And that's just the truth and why we want everybody in life groups. And then finally, which just should have been one, but we'll put it as four, you need to read your Bible. Right? Read your Bible, and that's wisdom revealed. And that's truly what the Bible is. It's the special revelation of God. It's the revealed self-revelation of God to man. And you need to be reading that if you want to, to, to really receive wisdom. Because all of us, with our Bibles closed, with an objection that I don't want to go to church on Sunday, with saying I don't ever want to get, go to someone's house and talk about the Bible together in community. I don't want to do these things. And if you shut all those things out and you just sit in the corner and you say, God, just give me wisdom, uh, he's going to do this. He's going to say, okay, but you're not willing to pray for it. You're not willing to go to church, to sit under wisdom. You're not willing to be in community to discuss wisdom. And you're not willing to open my word that I've already given you for wisdom. God's going to say, you're not serious. Right? The same way in my marriage, like I'm not serious about my spouse if I'm living like I am in my introduction. If I'm going to be serious about those things, I need to do the things where God's wisdom is present. <clears throat> See, when we don't do these things, the lack of wisdom is, is very evident in our lives. And, and that's what verse 10 is telling us the opposite, right? When we have a lack of wisdom, it's evident. But when we have an abundance of wisdom, it's also evident. Look at verse 10. In verse 10, it says, You receive this will of his wisdom and understanding and knowledge for this reason. Verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully. There's that word again. There's one of those words. Go ahead and circle that word fully. Right? You're, not, you're not supposed to walk in a manner to kind of please God or to kind of be okay with God. You know? No. no you, are, you receive wisdom and understanding to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord so you are fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every, there's another one, go ahead and circle that one. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. 
So we, we understand that this is now, remember I told you the first part was passive, right? It's something as Christians we receive from God. There is some responsibility on our part to do things like go to church and be a part of life groups. But for the most part, that's a passive truth that we have as Christians. Well, verse 10 is an active response. That means it's something for you and I to be doing. There's something that we have to do if we, if we are going to walk in a manner that is fully pleasing to the Lord. Now, I anticipated an objection here. Uh, for people who say, you know what, I thought God could not be more pleased with me than he already is. Who's heard that before? I mean, God cannot be more pleased with me than he already is, right? I mean, that's, that is what our, our culture tries to teach us. There are our veins of Christianity that try to teach you, you are the most pleasing you'll ever be to God. And I'm not even going to try to dissuade you. I'm going to take you to a couple of scriptures. Okay, Second, don't write this down. And, or I mean, don't write this down. Write this down. You don't have to flip to it unless you really want to. Second Corinthians 5, 9. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. So whether we are at home or away, this isn't a, a reference to little, little League Soccer, uh, but it, it's a reference to being alive or being dead, right? Uh, whether we are at home or away, whether we are alive or whether we are dead, we make it our aim to please Christ. And when he means dead, he means with Christ, right? Always, whatever we're going through, we make it our aim to please Christ. Well, if we just cannot be more pleasing to Christ uh, than we already are, why would Paul say that? to the church in Corinth? Why would he waste any time in Scripture saying that our aim, our goal, like, you know, I'm, I'm reaching back my bow and arrow and I'm trying to hit a target and my, my goal is when I let it go that it's going to hit the target. Well, why would God ever spend time in his word trying to say such a thing if it's nonsensical for us? Because we're always going to hit the mark. We're always going to be pleasing to God. Because we all know that we're not always pleasing to God. Even as Christians, we may be forensically justified. That is, you know, we know that we are uh, robed in the righteousness of Christ, but you know sometimes when you're robed in the righteousness of Christ, you're still wallowing around in the mud of sin. So we know as Christians that we aren't always pleasing to God. We don't always live pleasing to God. Uh, another one you can write down, Ephesians 5, 8 through 11. Ephesians 5, 8 through 11. Uh, for at one time you were, uh, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So if I could only be as pleased, if I were always just pleasing to God no matter what, I could never be more pleasing to God than I am right now, then why would Paul say, listen, you were in darkness, now you're in light. Now you need to walk as children of light. So there's an activity that I have to do as a Christian to continue being right, pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Now am I saying you're going to lose your salvation? Of course not. That's not what I'm talking about here. But if your goal in Christianity is just not to lose something or to say, I can't lose that, I mean, well, that's like marriage. Like, well, I'm not, I'm, I can't get divorced. Well, <laughs> sure, don't, you can't get divorced, but you can surely have a pleasing marriage. Right? You can surely have a marriage that, that pleases your spouse. Or when people look at it, they say, you know, that's a marriage I would love to have. Instead of saying, you know what, I don't really like that marriage because that guy, every single time we bring something up, just says, well, we're not getting divorced. Is that your goal? That your end goal is just to not get divorced, right? Your end goal isn't to have a fruitful marriage, to have, a, have an abundantly blessed marriage where when people look at it, they praise and honor God in heaven, right? In the same way as Christians, right, we need to live in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, that is fully pleasing to Him. And for us to do that, we actually have to do that, right? And here's how we do it. By bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And that's just what it says there in verse 10, that that is our goal, that we have every good work that we need to do, and in, in that we also need to be increasing in the knowledge of God. 
And here's how I, I phrase this. Uh, there's a symbiotic relationship between knowing and doing. And I want to help you guys think about this. And I really want you to think about this to take this home, okay? Uh, there's a symbiotic relationship, which means there is this relationship that is interconnected when it comes to asking for God's wisdom, point number one. And point number two on your outline as you write this down, and applying God's wisdom. Point number two is you need to apply God's wisdom. Write that down in your notes. I hope you're taking notes. It, it would please me if you were to taking notes. Uh, Knowing or asking for God's wisdom and applying God's wisdom, right? It's senseless for you and for I to ask for something that we're not going to use. And I can think of a million illustrations of it. Uh, but if I, uh, you know, I ask you to, could you go, could you go make me a, a coffee, right? Make me a hot vanilla latte, extra hot, skinny with foam, okay? And you're going to say, all right, okay. Uh, and you're going to bring that to me, and I'm just going to leave it over there on the counter, and four hours later, you walk by it, and I haven't taken a sip of that thing. And you're like, why did you ask for something that you're not going to do anything with, right? And what I want you to do is I want to wrap your mind around how we live with God. I mean, isn't that how so many of us live our lives with God? God, I just want a good marriage. I just want, I just want a good this. And God, just give me wisdom. Even if you have a good heart, right? I, God... I have a good intentions. I just want your wisdom. I want to make wise decisions. And then, like five weeks later, your pastor comes up to you and says, so what you been doing for the Lord lately? And you're like, I ain't touched that prayer in five weeks. I haven't really done anything with what I asked God to give me, right? And what I'm trying to say is you wouldn't do that in any other area in your life. Why do we do that with our relationship with God? And I'm going to tell you this, early on in my own salvation, I didn't embrace this relationship. I vividly remember, I was saved at 15 uh, 16, 17, 17, 18 probably was, was, was the, the like pinnacle of this, right? I said, here's what I'm going to do. I said, God, I got a great plan for you. If you just let me do it. I said, I'm going to learn everything I need to know. And then after that, then I'm going to do it all at once. And I said, God, I have, I mean, it, didn't that seem very intelligent for a 17 or 18 year old, right? I'm like, God, I'm just going to learn it all. Like, I want to know all these things. And then I'll start doing things like giving, and I'll start doing things like going to church every week and leading my friends to Christ. But first, I need to know how to do it all so I can tell everyone else how to do it. And you can imagine after a couple of years, that did not work. Okay? You could imagine uh, that my shock, and I'm like, God, this is not working. Like, I am completely out of your will. My life is getting miserable because I have your spirit convicting me of sin. And I'm trying to say it's not sin because I'm trying to tell you that I'm trying to do it in a good way. And God is just saying, stop that. Right? I'm giving you wisdom, and as I give you wisdom, apply God's wisdom. Right? And that's where many of us fall short, because right? we have that kind of mindset to say, you know what, when I get to this point, when I get good enough, when, when my marriage is better, I'll get in a life group. Right? When my kids get older, when they're just not so rambunctious and so sinful, you know, then I'll take them to, to Adventure Club because I know then they'll mind. Right? When I get to this point where I think I'm good, then God, I'll do what you want me to do. And that's not at all what God said. As a matter of fact, he says this in Ephesians 2.10. Write this down, Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10, Paul says this, For we are his workmanship, that we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is one of those things that we need to understand about God, that God has always had a plan, right? That it's, it's preordained, right? Since the beginning of time, that you, as a Christian, have these good works that God has placed in front of you. They're like stepping stones of life, and God has placed them in front of you, and your goal is to just walk on them. 
I mean, your, your goal isn't to try to create them. Your goal isn't to try to say, well, what does God want me to do today? It's like, no, 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 like Ephesians 2.10. God has already put out in front of you what he wants you to do today. Your goal is just walk on them. Like, it's like a toddler. Like, your parents have already cleared everything out of the way. They have all the little uh, goldfish in a line, and all you got to do is walk and grab them and just eat them. I mean, that's how easy this is, guys, as Christians. Like, God has given us his, his will, and it's for us as Christians to live in good works. And just like a kid eating his little, little goldfish, like your goal every day is say, God, what do you have me today? What do you have for me today? What do you want me to do for you? Not what do you want to give me? What do you have for me to do for you? Right? That's the will that God has for us in Christ Jesus is that we would apply his wisdom by doing good works that God has prepared for us that we should walk in them. Now, here's why. John 15, 8. John 15, 8. I wish I had more time to get you guys to flip around, but just write them down. You can go back to them later. All right, John 15, 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Three things that this scripture does, okay? The first is this. It's telling you that you need to bear much fruit. Okay, that's just exactly what the text was telling us this morning in Colossians. You need to live in a way that is fully pleasing to Christ. Why? Well, it glorifies God. And what more good do you and I exist for than to give God the glory in which his name is due? And we do that through the good works that God has put in our place to walk in. Now, here's a good byproduct of what that will also do in your life. The last part. And so prove to be my disciples. That is a byproduct. When you do good works and you're living to please the Lord and glorify him, it's also going to prove that you are his disciple. Prove to who? Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say mostly, mostly to you, right? Mostly it should prove to you that you're, that you're his disciple. Why? How many of you guys, you're like, I don't live for the Lord. Half the time I question my salvation. Half the time, I, if I really thought about it, I don't even know if I'm saved, right? And many people should have those thoughts. You should genuinely concern yourself with your own salvation. Scripture tells us to do that over and over again, right? Test yourselves to make sure that you're in the faith in case you test yourself and you fail to meet the test and find out you're not a Christian after all. Scripture teaches us to do that. And I'm just saying that you ought to do that. And you bearing much fruit should prove to yourself that you are a disciple of Christ. Because I'm going to tell you something, if you have been struggling with that and you ask yourself, am I really a Christian? I don't know. Uh, because what Pastor Hayden's been saying for the last uh, few months does not really add up to my life. Uh, and all I'm going to say is when you're living a fruitful life, you prove to yourself, hey, I'm doing this. I'm living this out. Right? I know I've responded appropriately to the gospel. My life is bearing fruit, and I'm walking in the things that God has talk, told me to walk in. And so it proves to you that you're a disciple. And as I said earlier, most of the time you know what to do. Right? And, most of, and that's what I'm trying to say. As Christians, you know what you ought to be doing. The fact is you just don't do it. Uh, and there's nothing more, I, I couldn't imagine anything more aggravating to the Lord than Christians who know what to do, but like don't do it. Uh, and I, again, let's bring up your children, okay? All right, your kids. When you tell them, hey, can you please clean your room uh, before you go to bed? Got it. Read that in my parents' Bible. All right. And uh, you go there and you're about to tuck them into bed and the room's a mess. And you're just like... But, oh, they're just cute. They're just kids. Okay. Uh, and you tell your kid, hey, uh, make sure you uh, wash your ears out every night so you don't get all this gunk in them. And then they don't. And then you forgot to check. And then they're in the doctor. They're the ears, nose, and throat doctor because their ears are infected because they didn't listen to what you said. Can I, I can keep going. But you get the point. Like When you tell your kids something, you want them to do it because it's for their good. And all I'm saying is God has also told us what to do, and it behooves us to do it, to live that out. 
in marriage. Like, let's get there, okay? Marriage, okay? Do you know, let's go with men first, okay? Men, do you know that the Bible says that you have to love yourself? Love yourself. Do you know the Bible says that you must love your wife the way that Christ loved the church? Did you know that? Did you also know a couple of verses down? It says you have to love your wife the way you love yourself. Do you know that? Men, did you know that in here? Do you do it? Wives, does he do it? All right. (laughs) Counseling. All right. Come on. (laughs) Do you know you should give back to God through giving your time, your finances? Do you know that? Did you know you were supposed to do that? Do you do it? No one's laughing at that one. Okay. All right. Next. Uh, Do you know that scripture says in Ephesians 4, 29, that no unwholesome talk should come out of your mouth? Did you know that you're not supposed to let anything unwholesome come out of your mouth? Do you do it? You see, that's what, what I'm trying to say to you is you know so much more about God's will than you give yourself credit for. The problem isn't you don't know it. The problem is you just don't do it. And all I'm trying to say is just do it. Like, just do it. It's, it's so much better. Your life is so much more fruitful when you do. And it pleases God. It glorifies him. And it proves that you're his disciple. See, this is not rocket science Christianity here, guys. Uh, but, he, but here is a, is a warning, right? Matthew seven nineteen through 20. Just write that down. I'll read it. Matthew seven nineteen through 20. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Right? That's a warning. Right? That's a warning that says, listen, any tree or any Christian right, that is not bearing fruit right, really just proves that it's not indeed a fruit tree, right? Uh, we have, a, my grandmother has a fruitless mulberry tree in her yard, which I'm like, can we not just call it something else? It's a mulberry tree, but it's fruitless. So it's not a mulberry tree at all. It's just a tree, okay? Uh, but, but we can't be fruitless Christian trees because there's no such thing as a fruitless Christian tree, okay? There is just either a fruitful Christian or there's just a tree, Okay, and what it says here that if we're not bearing fruit because the fruit doesn't, the tree doesn't bear fruit, then it's going to be cut down. It's going to be thrown into the fire. Now you don't have to jump a lot of hurdles there to know that this is no like you know garden variety fire here. Okay, this is the fire of hell. Okay, and we know this to be true because every Christian who has the Holy Spirit is going to bear fruit. And the question for you, if you're a Christian, is to say, how am I going to be the most fruitful? Right? And the question for non-Christians is, you can't be fruitful if you're not a Christian. So therefore, first, repent of your sins, trust in Christ, and then bear good fruit. Right? You're not going to bear fruit to become a Christian. We've discussed that already, but we'll do it in depth later on. But you need to understand that as Christians, we need to, we need to bear fruit. And there's a warning that if we don't, we're going to be recognized by our fruit. Now, last verse and a half, verse 11. Uh, that we're going to increase in the knowledge of God, verse 11, being strengthened with all, there's another one, go ahead and circle that, all power according to his glorious might for all, there's another one, and that's the last one, highlight that one, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. Remember I told you there was a passive activity that was going on in verse 9, right? You're going to be filled with the knowledge of his will, right? That was passive. Then active, right? You're bearing good fruit. Well, here's another passive reality as Christians that we have, right? That we are going to be strengthened according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. 
So we know for sure that we are going to receive the strength of God to do the things that he is asking us to do, okay? Uh, the, the word power there in the Greek is this word dunamis, okay? Dunamis is the word power, and this is, uh, in the Greek, this word is only connotated as one thing. Dunamis is the power that comes from God. That's the only way you can use it. It's a supernatural power. Uh, no one's going to say, hey, could you come over here and use your dunamis to come help me move this fridge? You're going to say, that's the wrong way to use that word. That's, that, that's not the right way to use that word. Okay? The only time that this is used in, in any ancient time in Greek was to display this power that is a miraculous power that cannot come from you. Uh, now, if I invited you over to help me move my fridge, I would say, hey, could you come give me some of your dunamai to come help me move my fridge? In Greek, dunamai is the power that you and I have together to go do something. So dunamai is this power that, that you can have, but dunamis is this power that only comes from God. So I cannot actively enforce dunamis in my life. Right? I can do Namai, which is things to do like good fruit, bearing good fruit, living a life fully pleasing to Christ. But it's going to be dunamis, God's power, that's going to empower me to continue walking in that. And many of us don't want to walk pleasing to the Lord and bearing good fruit because we're trying to do it in a dunamai kind of way. Or at least on the front end, we're trying to say, Dunamai, God's asking me to live in an understandable way with my wife every day for the rest of my life. I can't dunamai. I can't do that. Uh, but no, but God says, do not miss. Like God says, you just need to walk in the strength that, that I'm giving you, and I'm going to make sure you are empowered to do that for the next 30 years, the next 40 years, the next 50 years, right? I know that God's going to give you the power to do these things. And that's really what Paul's saying to the Colossians here. And I want you to pay attention here, and I'll, uh, we can wrap it up pretty quick. Uh, it's, it's this, that you are going to in order to bear good fruit, you're going to be fully pleasing to him. You're going to grow in all the spiritual wisdom and understanding. And while you're doing those things, did you hear what I just said? While you're doing those things, not before you do those things, not after you do those things, but while you're doing these things, you will be strengthened with all power according to whose glorious might? God's, according to Duna Miss, according to the supernatural power that has worked within every Christian who has a Holy Spirit living in them. That's the power of that glorious might. And here's what it's going to do. This is wonderful. It's going to give us all endurance and patience with joy, and we will give thanks to the Father. Okay? And here's what you need to do. Really, and I've, over, I've articulated over and over in dunamis, dunamis, dunamis. You should go home and know that word for the rest of your life. Dunamis is a supernatural power we receive from God. And it's point number three. Not dunamis, but point number three is acknowledge God's omnipotence. Right? Acknowledge God's omnipotence. It's a big theology word. Omni, which is all, right? All, omni, everything, all. And then and, and potence, right? Potence, power. All powerful. Right? This is the God that we serve who is all powerful, who has, we'll read later on in these next few verses, that Christ is upholding everything, that everything is held together by Christ. He's, he is the dunamisicist. Okay? There's nothing more powerful than Christ in this power that we have according to his glorious might, and it's going to give us endurance and patience with joy. And to do that, we need to acknowledge God's omnipotence. And I say acknowledge God's omnipotence because it's not like you can't force God's power into you. But you can trust that if you're a Christian, that God's called you to live in a certain way. And if you'll just walk in that, God is also going to strengthen you with his power to do these things. And this is how I'm going I'm to end this in this applicational manner. Because I think we all need this. Okay? You need help enduring your life. 
right? You need help enduring many things you're going through in your life, right? Maybe, maybe, you know, we've been talking about marriage a lot. Maybe your marriage isn't going very well, and you're just at this point where you're like, you know what? I'm this close to being done with it. Well, that's not God's will, is it? But God's will is that you have a fruitful marriage, and God's will will give you endurance to do those things, to find yourself, to work yourself maybe out of place that isn't God's will, give you that endurance to right over there and get back into God's will. God's going to give you the endurance and the power and the strength to do those things. And he's also going to do it this way. We talk about endurance. What about patience? I mean, how many of you guys can think about this week, like, I wasn't in God's will when it comes to my patience, right? When somebody cuts you off on 306 or 35, right? You, you found yourself out of God's will in that moment? You sure did. How about all those Californians moving down here, okay? You've been patient with them, all right? And all I'm saying is that when you will live in the will of God, he is going to empower you to be patient, to have endurance. And here's my favorite part, with joy. It's like God's going to, I'm like scooping ice cream, God's going to, you just walk in the Lord's will, and he's going to give you endurance, and he's just going to give you the, the patience, and then he's going, to, he's going to make you do it with joy. He's like, I'm going to, you're going to do it, and you're going to like it, right? I mean, that's usually done in a negative sense, but like, that's truly our Christian faith. It's like, we're going to do it, and we're going to like it. Like, you're going to have endurance, and you're going to have patience, because God's going to give you that strength, but then you're going to have this, like, supernatural joy in the middle of all of it. People ask me all the time, you're planting a church, you're remodeling another giant building, there's just so much going on, and you don't look very old. How are you doing all this? And I'm like, dunamis, dunamis, not dunamai, dunamis, okay? Like, <laughs> like it's not me. Like, I, I get to do this with endurance and patience, and I'm excited and joyful to do it because we're in God's will, and we're just doing this together. Like, what better place can we be in as a church when it comes to being a healthy church? We can't, and that's the goal. There's, there's a lot of other things I could talk about, but I'm going to skip down to the bottom of my outline for your sake. Uh, but you can write down this, First Chronicles 29, 11 through 12. Uh, and I'll sum it up. It just basically says this, God, you are so great. Great is your power in all the earth. God, you are so powerful and you are so great. And the heavens, they're yours to the end of the earth. It's all yours. This is, this is what it says. And at the end, it says this, power and might are in your hand. And you, in your hand, it is to make great and to give strength to all. Right? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that the reality that we find ourselves in? If we would just walk in the will of God, because now we know it, and we're asking for more of it, and now we just need to walk in it, and we know that as we walk in God's will, God is going to strengthen us with all strength. Pray with me. God, we do thank you. God, it isn't in and of ourselves that we can find strength and that we can find patience and endurance, but it's through you. It's through your power. But God, even though it's passive, it's something that you, 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 you give us, that there's still things that you require of us, and that is to live a fruitful life, to live in your will and to do good works. The good works that you've prepared beforehand, that we should just walk in them, God, those things you just make so easy for us. As your children, you make your will clear. And just as we would our own children, we make the pathway straight and clear for them to walk in it. And God, all we do as children of you is to walk in the good works. You will, you will provide us with the wisdom. You will give us the places, the church, and life groups, uh, and prayer, and your word to find wisdom. And then, God, you just ask us to live that out. And in that, you will also empower us to endure. You will empower us to give us strength. And God, in you, as a good father, are going to allow us to do that with joy. 
God, I do pray that for, for those in here listening to this, God, that they would be strengthened with your strength, given endurance with joy, that they would go out and they would do good works, that we would be a church known for the good works that we do for your glory. Help us do that in our lives this week. In Christ's name, amen.